name is Pastor Nathan Pagard, and I'm grateful that you could join me today, and I'm looking forward to walking through the word with you. First, before we start our, uh, our Bible study and going into the scripture, I just wanted to say a quick thank you to everyone who's been listening to the podcast and supporting it, subscribing on iTunes, uh, liking it, sharing it. I, I really um, am overwhelmed by uh, the amount of people that are listening and, and also overwhelmed with uh, where this podcast is being listened to. Uh, we're able to track where people are, are listening uh, to the podcast, and you know we, we have listeners listening in Belgium, in the Netherlands, in South Korea, in uh, Central and South America, in Canada. Uh, it's really amazing. Um, technology these days is, is not always something that makes things better, but uh, in terms of, of being able to share the gospel to as many people as possible from one centralized location without having to actually travel, to these places is is it's amazing to see it it doing doing that work so uh wherever you are listening um i pray that you're doing well i pray that your your faith is being enhanced by the ministries you're involved with where you are and i hope and pray that the the mobile word ministry that we have online or this podcast uh encourages you and helps you uh, grow into a deeper relationship with god through jesus so thank you for, for listening and supporting the podcast. If you have any questions, uh, any concerns, or any topics you would like discussed on the podcast, we would love to hear from you and love to incorporate that into the, the episodes. Our email is mobilewordministry at gmail.com. So again, any email that you want to send with scriptures or comments or questions is mobilewordministry at gmail.com. And that's associated with our, our internet ministry called Mobile Word Ministry. And you can find that at mobilewordministry.com. Lots of resources, uh, different tools that you can use in your, your private study, in your church Bible studies, uh, in your ministry. Uh, tools that are designed specifically to, to ask the direct and maybe sometimes hard questions so that people can confront where they are in their faith. You know, our, our main goal with Mobile Word Ministry is to to not be afraid to ask questions, not be afraid to, to have doubts. And when we have those, uh, those, those questions and those doubts, you know, we read in scripture that, you know, God says, you know, call to me and I will answer your questions. You know, when you are unsure of something, ask and I will give you peace. Um, ask and you will receive so many times throughout the entire scriptures. You know, this isn't just isolated Jesus in the gospels. The entire scriptures testify to God desiring that we not know all the answers, but at least be honest when we don't. That's key. You know, if, if, you, if you're not sure of something, you know, what is the use in faking? What is the use in pretending that you know? And God says there is no use. You know, simply ask your questions, simply profess your doubt, and we can work on it. And God promises to give what we need. So mobile word ministry is, is, is you know, one option. I'm sure there's so many other options that you can turn to, and I hope they're all blessing you, but it's one other option that if you have questions or doubts, we want to help you. We want to work with you. And in doing that, that sharpens our faith. You know, so many times when I hear questions from people at a Bible study or people I'm with in ministry or, or even non-believers that I'm just talking to and hearing their take on Christianity or their issues or their concerns with the Bible or with God, so many times that calls me to sharpen myself and, and sharp, sharpen my faith, develop my faith, because sometimes I don't know the answer. I'd say oftentimes I'm not sure, but I know that we have a God that wants to make us sure and wants us to ask 
So the, the podcast and the ministry online at Mobile Word Ministry uh, is something that we, we pray is blessing you. And if you have anything that you would like us to address or uh, would like us to help um, help you with, please reach out and use the email at mobilewordministry at gmail.com. So for this week's episode, uh, we're going to look at Job chapter 29. So if you have a different version other than NIV, which is what I'll be reading from, and you want to read your version first so as to get uh, the most understanding out of the, the language and voice that you're used to, go ahead and pause the podcast right now and, and read your version, and then you can rejoin us, press play, and then uh, hear me reading from NIV, or you can listen uh, to me reading NIV and then read yours afterwards. But uh, go ahead and choose whichever one you want to do so that you can get the most out of reading the scripture. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and start in Job chapter 29. Job continued his discourse. How I long for the months gone by, for the days when God watched over me, when his lamp shone upon my head, and by his light I walked through darkness. Oh, for the days when I was in my prime, when God's intimate friendship blessed my house, when the Almighty was still with me and my children were around me, when my path was drenched with cream and the rock poured out for me streams of olive oil. When I went to the gate of the city and took my seat in the public square, the young men saw me and stepped aside, and the old men rose to their feet. The chief men refrained from speaking and covered their mouths with their hands. The voices of the nobles were hushed, and their tongues stuck to the roof of their mouths. Whoever heard me spoke well of me, and those who saw me commended me, because I rescued the poor who cried for help, and the fatherless who had done none to assist him. The man who was dying blessed me. I made the widow's heart sing. I put on righteousness as my clothing. Justice was my robe and my turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy. I took up the case of the stranger. I broke the fangs of the wicked and snatched the victims from their teeth. I thought, I will die in my own house, my days as numerous as the grains of sand. My roots will reach to the water, and the dew will lie all night on my branches. My glory will remain fresh in me, the bow ever new in my hand. Men listened to me expectantly, waiting in silence for my counsel. After I had spoken, they spoke no more. My words fell gently on their ears. They waited for me as for showers and drank in my words as the spring rain. When I smiled at them, they scarcely believed it. The light of my face was precious to them. I chose the way for them and sat as their chief. I dwelt as a king among his troops. I was like one who comforts mourners. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this chapter in Job. I thank you for Job. I thank you for his honesty, and I thank you for his willingness to be used by you. I pray, Lord, that you ordain the words that I speak for this podcast and this time that we have together, seeking your wisdom and your truth in Job chapter 29. Bless the scriptures in Jesus' name. Bless them and give us your wisdom. Give us your instruction for this time. We know that you've ordained and prepared a specific message for each of us. And we thank you that you've given us this opportunity through technology and through our, our, the availability that we have in the scriptures that we hold to seek out your will and to see your truth. God, help us to receive what you've prepared for us in this time. Ordain the steps, ordain the words, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, encounter us in this time. Become real to us as we go through this chapter and these scriptures. Make them holy to us and sweet like honey. 
Father, bless us and help us to bless you as we seek you and listen to what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. So Job 29, uh, when I was reading this chapter right before we started the podcast, um, I was asking God, you know, what is the what is the point and purpose for us for this time? Um, I'm sure you've, you've experienced this, uh, and it's something that happens to me frequently. I, I will read a chapter with one group of people and have a very specific message that's been ordained by God for those people, and then I will read the same chapter with a group of different people and a very unique and very specific message that's different from the first one will be applied for this new group of people. And it's the same verses, it's the same words, but because the Holy Spirit is alive and active, working with the people present, it isn't always the same message. It isn't always the same lesson uh, for, for all people. You know, some scriptures, there's a very specific message that's applicable for everybody. But when you're reading, you know, whole chunks, you know, whole chapters, uh, a certain verse will pop out to one person and be exactly what God wanted them to hear. So I was praying and asking God, you know, what what do we what should we get out of this this chapter as we're we're listening to it and reading it right now? And the thing that just kept popping up was this idea of being a witness. You know, this idea of representing Jesus. You know, Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 5 being uh, part of that ministry of reconciliation, but more being ambassadors of Christ. You know, he talks about how as a Christian, you know, if we if we claim to, to be recipients of the gospel and we bear that name of Christ as our identity as Christians, there is a, a responsibility and an obligation, also a privilege, also a gift, but it's a responsibility to represent Jesus. And that is that is a an overwhelming reality that should really you know, it should cause you to step back and just pause for a moment. And if you are listening to this podcast and you identify as a Christian, if you claim the name of Christ in your identity, in that title, take a second and, and just take that reality in that the perfect sacrifice, the lamb, the holy one, you know, unblemished, that he has put his perfect gospel, the gospel that will save the world, in the hands of imperfect, sinful beings. And only by his presence in our life, only by complete submission to him as our Lord and Savior and King, can we be representatives of him. It's impossible without it. It's impossible without his intervening presence in our life, day to day, moment by moment, you know, don't over, don't overestimate this. Don't, don't take, you know, day at a time, week at a time. Let's, let's get, let's get small. Let's just get small right now and think about the next 30 minutes. I don't know what will happen to you 30 minutes following listening to this podcast. I don't know what will happen to me 30 minutes after I record this podcast. But I know that sin is waiting and crouching at the door. We know that. Sin wants nothing more than to take us. You know, in verse 17 of this chapter, it says, I broke the fangs of the wicked and snatched the victims from their teeth. The wicked are those with the teeth, those with the fangs. That's sin. It's crouching at the door, ready, 
And if we are not prepared, you know, like Paul talks about in Ephesians, having the armor, if we're not prepared as soldiers, ready to fight, if we're not actively aware that we cannot accomplish anything without Christ, if we are apart from the vine, that we can accomplish nothing. If we are not aware of that and resetting to that reality, that truth, how can we be representatives in it? How can we go out into the world and represent it? Yet that's what we're called to do. You know, we're called to go into all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as disciples, as disciples of Jesus, Jesus the Christ, with his spirit manifest in us by the Holy Spirit. That might sound confusing, but the, 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 the standard and the situation is simple. Because we have received grace from Jesus, because we have looked upon him as he was raised up from the ground, sacrificed, crucified for us, but then resurrected from the tomb, if we can look upon him and believe it, that we believe it, that that happened and that that happened for us, for me, for you, if we can believe it, what happens is we receive that grace, we receive his spirit in our life. And as our life is darkness before the spirit of Jesus is allowed in, the light eradicates the darkness. It rebukes it in Jesus' name, representing him. So if we're recipients of that grace, if we've understood, if that reality of the sacrifice of Jesus because of our sin for our salvation has become real to us, and if we believe that he has overcome death in the empty tomb, then we have been recipients of that grace and therefore we have the spirit of Jesus in our life. And because that spirit is in our life, it eradicates the darkness and it should begin to bear fruit. Like Jesus says in Matthew 7, 20, he says, my disciples you will recognize and by their fruit you will know them. So not just being able to associate a label. There are a lot of label Christians. What we hear from Jesus is that doesn't matter. Jesus says later in Matthew 25, he says, these people that have been doing works in church, miracles, healing, speaking in tongues, all these things. And then what happens when they meet him at the end? God says, I don't know you. I never knew you. You know, in Job 29, in verse 4, it says, Oh, for the days when I was in my prime, when God's intimate friendship blessed my house. You know, let's translate that to where we are in, in, in this time with the gospel. Our bodies are a temple, this house, this house of God, that God, Christ's spirit dwells in us. That as Jesus is in the Father, we are in him, it's complete unity, and that his spirit is dwelling in us. And the result, the fruit of that spirit dwelling in us is intimate friendship. So Jesus says it's not about, I'm a Christian, and that's it. I'm a label, I'm a name. There has to be fruit. You have to be manifesting his spirit. So this idea of being a witness, that's the key for Job 29. And we're going to look at a few things in Job 29 that address this issue of a witness. Because we are his ambassadors. When people meet you, they are getting Jesus. Or if you are misrepresenting Jesus, that's how they are receiving Jesus. And so many people... In my experience, my short time in ministry so far, six years, I have met so many people that have a negative view or impression of Jesus or Christianity or God or the Bible. 
And when I ask them why, you know, I ask them, you know, tell, tell me about that. When did that start? Can you remember when your opinion shifted or when you felt like that was an established truth in your heart that I want none of that? You know, if you go back and do the connect the dots in reverse, so many times everything tracked back to an experience that person had with humans. Either an individual Christian, a group of Christians, or a ministry, a church, but something man-made. And what they experienced, judgment, ridicule, anger, hypocrisy, jealousy, greed, all of those things are the antithesis to the fruits of the Spirit. So when I would ask them, you know, what, what how, can, can you explain, you know, why you, why you have this negative view of Christianity? What they were saying is that I experienced someone who was misrepresenting Jesus. So then what we have to do is we have to reintroduce Jesus. But so many people walk around claiming the name of Christ in their name as a label Christian, saying, I am a Christian a disciple of Jesus, and then they act the way the world acts, and people see that and say, I don't want any part of that Christian thing. I don't want any part of that Jesus thing. And that's not how it's designed. When we have the spirit of Jesus, we bring light. We bring healing. We bring justice, love. That's what people should be experiencing as you are a Christian stepping out into your workplace, into your family, into the community, into the world. If you are a Christian, if you are a disciple of Jesus, recipients of the grace and the house where God lives, where he dwells in you, his spirit is in you, people will see holiness. People will see Jesus. And if you're misrepresenting that, if you're carrying around that name recklessly, carelessly, the ripple effects of that encounter you have with someone could be pushing them away from God eternally. Like take a second and, and, and realize the ramifications of that. That because of your careless and complacent approach to the gospel and your, your, your temptation to be like the world and not like Jesus, but in the name of Jesus, representing him and in your identity, could be pushing people away forever. Now, God has grace, and God is watching after them, and God will continue to pursue them. But the thing we know is that that encounter is on you. You know, God will continue to pursue the person. It's not like everything was bent on you, doing everything perfect. No, that's not what we're saying. But your job in that moment, encountering those people that are, are, are foreigners, to God, that do not know God, that do not know Christ, your misrepresentation of the gospel is on you. So in Job 29, we get a rundown on what is a witness. If we are true witnesses of the gospel, you know, like in 1 John, John says that we heard it, we saw it. John talks about that in the gospel, something that we have seen, which we have touched, which dwelt among us, lived with us. If we are witnesses, what is a witness? What are the fruits of someone who's a witness. And we see some basic elements of that in Job 29. First, we're going to look at verse 1 through 6. So I'll go ahead and read. Verse 1, it says, Job continued his discourse, How I long for the months gone by, for the days when God watched over me, when his lamp shone upon my head. 
and by his light I walked through darkness. Oh, for the days when I was in my prime, when God's intimate friendship blessed my house, when the Almighty was still with me, and my children were around me, when my path was drenched with cream, and the rock poured out for me streams of olive oil. The first thing that has to be a trait of a witness is their relationship to God. The key is verse 4. And verse 3 and verse 2 set it up. But the result, verse 4, it's an intimate friendship with God. You love him. You know him. That is the thing that is most dear to you. It is your precious possession, that relationship you have with God in Jesus Christ. And that is not something that you can fake. When someone loves something, they can't help but talk about it. You can tell by the look in their eyes. You can tell by their tone of their voice. You can tell by the way that they structure their time. You can tell by their priorities. You can tell that this is something they love. You know, people don't rearrange their schedule, set priorities, get lit up in the face, and talk with this passionate tone about something that they like. And there are so many Christians that like Jesus, enjoy church, but there's not this intimate friendship. There's not an unbreakable bond with Jesus Christ for what he has done, recipients of that grace. So as a witness, people are not stupid. People can tell. If you genuinely love God and love that relationship you have with him and that that love is pouring out, spilling over, that the cup is overflowing in your character and in your life, that people can't help but notice, man, she loves Jesus. And man, he loves Jesus. It's got to be clear. And for it to be clear, it's got to be real. Second thing, we're going to look at verses 7 through 11. So first is an intimate friendship, a love, a relationship with God through Jesus. So let's look at verses 7 through 11. It says in verse 7, When I went to the gate of the city and took my seat in the public square, the young men saw me and stepped aside, and the old men rose to their feet. The chief men refrained from speaking and covered their mouths with their hands. The voices of the nobles were hushed, and their tongues stuck to the roof of their mouths. Whoever heard me spoke well of me, and those who saw me commended me. We're going to stop there. It's mid-sentence, but we're going to stop there. The second issue after your relationship with God is that there's respect. That you have, you, have, you have earned and garnered respect by how you live. That people look at you and they say that is a reputable individual. That is someone who keeps their promises. That is someone who is honest. And we're not going to reduce it to just that is a good person. But that is someone that when people look at that kind of witness, they say, I might not agree. Okay, we see, we see that in, in, in 1 Peter. You know, it says, live such a holy life among the pagans, you know, that they can't find any fault. That's the thing, is that they might not agree with you. They might not agree with your, your faith. They might not agree with your love for Jesus and your view of the Bible and your understanding of the world through the lens of scripture and through the lens of Jesus. They might not agree with you, and that's okay. That's their choice. They can disagree with you. But when they look at your life, when they look at your character, they step aside. They respect you. They can mock you from behind your back. They can tease you. But they can look at the fruit of your life, and they can respect you. Because our, our job is not to transform people. 
That's God's job. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And never forget that. Your job is not to transform your family member who doesn't believe in Jesus. Your job is not to transform your coworker who does not believe in Jesus. That's not your job. Never has been. You are called to be a witness. You're called to testify upon what you've seen, heard, and touched and what you know to be true. And as a witness, you have a love for God, you have a relationship with Him, and you have developed a character in front of believers and non-believers that is respected, that people look upon and say, I can respect that. So first, you have to have a relationship with God that is authentic. Then you have to be someone that is respected. Now, the next section, basically verses 12 through verses 20, it's the fruit of that respect. You know, how how did someone come to that conclusion that they can respect you? Why do they respect you? And that's what we get from those verses. So let's read from verses 12 through verses 20. This is verse 12. So this mid-sentence that they, they commended me because, verse 12, I rescued the poor who cried for help and the fatherless who had done had none to assist them. Sorry. Let's read that again. Verses 12. Because I rescued the poor who cried for help and the fatherless who had none to assist him. The man who was dying blessed me. I made the widow's heart sing. I put on righteousness as my clothing. Justice was my robe and my turban. I was eyes to the blind, feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy. I took up the case of the stranger. I broke the fangs of the wicked and snatched the victims from their teeth. I thought I will die in my own house. My days are as numerous as the grains of the sand. My roots will reach to the water and the dew will lie all night on my branches. My glory will remain fresh in me the bow ever new in my hand. So mainly if you look at verses 12 through verse 17, 12, rescued the poor who cried for help. So you have a heart for the poor. You're generous. You're selfless. You're not stocking up wealth so that you can enjoy a comfortable life. You see someone in need and you give. Forget about 10, 10%, 15%, 50%. 50%, You know, stop reducing it to a number. If there's someone who's poor, someone that is less, you know, is, is, is not as, as well off as you, that is less than you, you give. That's the heart of Jesus. He reached out to the poor because he related to the poor. He was the poor. If that spirit of Jesus is in you, you have a heart for the poor and you don't categorize it as, well, I've already tithed. Well, I would help you, but I already sponsor a child in Rwanda or wherever. No, you see a need and you fill it. Of course, you pray and you ask for discernment. If this is right, if this is your job, of course, you pray about it. But if all signs point towards give, you give. Because what's yours is not yours. It's been loaned to you. Your bank account is not yours. Your savings is not yours. You're there to be a witness and you're there to create healing in this world, which oftentimes will come through reaching out to the poor. So you're a witness and you're respected because of your love for the poor. Who's crying out for the help. The fatherless who had none to assist him. Your comforter. You see someone that without, without leadership, without role models, without mentors, and you fill the hole, you fill the need. This isn't about your schedule, your time, your free time. You see someone that is fatherless, without a leader, without a guide, and you fulfill that role. Not just because you have to, but again, that's the heart of Jesus being manifested in you, that he comforted those who had no one. He comforted the outcast, the reject, 
the other. This isn't about categories that you're comfortable with. This is you having a heart that reaches out to the person that has nobody. Do you understand that? It has nothing to do with who they are or how that fits in with your schedule. Does your heart gravitate towards the person that has no one? And do you seek to fill that role? Verse 13, the man who was dying blessed me. I made the widow's heart sing. Again, comforting. Comforting people who are in pain, hurting, with no one. Someone who is an outcast that has no value, that has lost their rights, lost their social status. Someone at the end of their life. Someone in a senior living home that has no one to visit them. Do you seek to comfort those that have no one? Those that are at the end? Those possibly with no hope? Does your heart gravitate towards them? Verse 14, I put on righteousness as my clothing. Justice was my robe and my turban. Does righteousness and goodness and justice overflow from your life? That when you see injustice, you feel that pain, that suffering that God feels. Do you have that hunger for righteousness, goodness, decency, holiness, cleanliness, something that is right, created in its right order and design? Do you, do you seek that? It doesn't matter how that affects your comforts or your position. Do you just seek righteousness and justice? It's not about you and how that impacts you, but if you see injustice, and you see unrighteousness, do you seek to correct that? Do you seek to contribute to a movement that returns that to its created order of justice and righteousness the way God created it? A witness does that. Because again, recipients of Jesus, having witnessed Christ in their life manifested, you received righteousness from Christ. You received justice. Not because you were punished for your sins, which was just, but because Christ was punished for your sins, that he satisfied that justice and stepped in, intervened in your place. That because of Jesus, you weren't stricken, but he was. A witness has experienced that, and that is recreated in the fruit of the Spirit in how you witness to the world. 15, I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was father to the needy. Verse 16, I took up the case of the stranger. 17, I broke the fangs of the wicked and snatched the victims from their teeth. This is a protector. This is a comforter. This is a healer. So just read through verses 12 through 17 again and again. And then you read verse 11. Whoever heard me spoke well of me and those who saw me commended me. That's why. Not because you were popular. Not because you had the most hip church with the coolest program and the best worship team. We're just talking about you right now. You as an individual, as a representative and ambassador of Christ. When people look at you and they respect you, 12 through 17, that's why they should respect you. Because you are a fighter for those things. That you defend those things. 
that because of Christ and His Spirit in your life, you desire and hunger for those things in your life and in the world around you. That is a witness. So first, verses 1 through 6, people see that you have an authentic relationship with God. Verses 7 through 11, they respect you. You have a respectable reputation. They might not agree with you. They might mock your silly childish beliefs in myths in the Bible, according to their view, but they respect you. Why do they respect you? Because of verses 12 through 17 or throughout 12 through 20. They see the fruit of your life, and that's the fruit. Seeking justice, righteousness, healing who's sick, comforting the dying and the, the, the widow and the, the, the fatherless and the stranger. You're filling those holes. Those are not easy roles. Those are not fun roles, but they are necessary. And with the spirit of Jesus, they are absolutely essential to being a Christian, being a witness of Christ. The last section of a witness testified in chapter 29 is verses 21 through 25. In 21, it says, Men listen to me expectantly, waiting in silence for my counsel. After I had spoken, they spoke no more. My words fell gently on their ears. They waited for me as for showers and drank in my words as the spring rain. When I smiled at them, they scarcely believed it. The light of my face was fresh, precious to them. I chose the way for them and sat as their chief. I dwelt as a king among his troops. I was like one who comforts mourners. Aside from those qualities that we saw in verses 12 through 17 mainly, of why people respect a witness of Jesus, the thing that binds all of those behaviors, those, those roles together, is love. And that when people look upon you, they're blessed by you. They can't hardly believe it. They can't hardly believe something so good. Our world is filled with darkness. And when God, through Jesus, says, you are a city on a hill, you know, no one takes a, a candle, no one takes a light and puts it under the table or in a basket. They put it high up so that it lights up the room. And when we're surrounded by so much darkness and suffering, and then a witness comes along, a witness of Jesus, bearing the fruit of his spirit, they can't hardly believe it. They're shocked. They're stunned. Because it is so good. And it is the complete opposite of the darkness that we're so used to. And now they might not believe in Jesus. They might not make that step. It's up to them. But what they see, they can't deny. And what they see is, that is good. And not just that is good, that is very good. So you see, none of this, none of this in this in this chapter is creating arguments, creating division, accusing people, judging people, setting divides between us and them. You know, these are conditions it's talking about. It's not go to those certain people. This is just when there's someone in need, you help them. When there's someone who's poor, you help them. The help is not preceded by an evaluation system or a questionnaire if people fit the right pattern or, or the right boxes are checked and then you help. No, someone needy, you help them. Someone who's alone, you comfort them. Someone who's dying, comfort them and pray for them. Spend time with them, love them. That's why when you smile, like in verse 24, when you smile, they can't believe it. That the light of your face is precious to them. 
Now, when you look through the entire chapter of 29, one thing that I, that I teach and one thing that's a, a, a common focus of my Bible studies and my ministry is that all scriptures should point you in the direction of Jesus, and this chapter is no different. When you look at these just as things we need to do, you'll break your back. It's impossible. But it's not impossible if we look to the one who actually did these things. Read over chapter 29 and see, especially verses 12 through 17, the behaviors, the roles of a witness, and then associate that with the ministry of Jesus. And it's the same. In a way, Job is prophesying towards the one. When you see in verse 25, I chose the way for them and sat as their chief. Christians, before they were known as Christians, were called the way. Why? Because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So I chose the way. And there is one way. You know, people can disagree with there's being multiple ways up the mountain to reach God. But when you look at the way of Jesus, verses 12 through 17, this whole chapter, that's the fruit. And if that's the fruit, that is beautiful and that is a gift to the world. But Jesus says, I am the way. And then what is he? He's not just Lord and Savior. He's the King of Kings. He sat as a chief. I dwelt as a king among his troops. You know, he came down and became like us in the flesh. I was like one who comforts mourners back in Isaiah. The comforter. This is not coincidence, friends. This is getting us to look upon the one who could do all of these things. And in his name, with his spirit, we can too. You cannot, and I, and I, I, I pray that you don't try this. And that you're not getting this out of this podcast. This chapter is not telling you, here are the things you ought to do. Now be a good Christian and go do them. When you read this, it should be like your reading of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount should not just be an encouragement to you. It should crush you because no one can do those things. It's like when Paul looks upon the law and realizes that I need a savior. The law is going to kill me because you can't do it. When you read Job 29 and you especially read 12 through 17, you cannot do all those things. You naturally do not want to do all those things. You naturally want to serve yourself and not to be put in an uncomfortable, compromising position, but to stay safe and far back from the front line. But not with Jesus, not with his spirit. In his spirit, you put on the armor of God and you go to the front line and you fight and not creating arguments and division and judgment and hostility, but you fight by putting out the enemy with his spirit in love, healing the world, setting captives free, restoring sight to the blind, helping the lame to walk, comforting those who are alone. That's a witness. So ask yourself, are you, are you a witness of Jesus Christ? Have you first witnessed that gift of all of those roles? How Jesus has comforted you, healed you, opened your eyes, set you free? Are you a recipient of that? Because that has to happen first. Remember, the first thing is a relationship to God in Christ. You can't have a relationship to God in Christ unless you, my friends, have been recipients of all of those roles for yourself in your own life from Jesus. 
And if that's the case, is his spirit being manifested in your life? And are you being respected by the world around you, not because of your popularity and the way that you follow the world, but because you are a fighter on the front lines of injustice and unrighteousness and sickness and captivity and sin, and you carry your torch and your light and you rebuke darkness in Jesus' name, and people see that love, and they are overcome. They can't believe it, and they find that face, like the glowing face of Moses, reflecting God. They see that as precious. And then from there, it doesn't end with you. You redirect it to the King of Kings, to the Comforter who comforted all. That's the result of us being a witness is to bring them back to Jesus and say, I can't do all this. With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible in the name of Jesus Christ as ambassadors of the Son. As ambassadors of Christ, we can do all things with him who strengthens us, comforts us, and allows his spirit to be manifested in us, bearing fruit in his spirit. You know, I just want to read really quickly in Ephesians. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Friends, if you live by the Spirit of Jesus and you've been recipients of his grace and his sacrifice, death, and resurrection. Live in the Spirit. Be a witness. And be a witness that blesses the world by being someone who heals, someone who loves, and someone who ultimately points the world back towards the Savior, back towards the King, back towards the Healer, Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your son Jesus. I thank you for this word. Help us to fall in line behind our Savior, not seeking to reproduce these behaviors, these roles on our own without Christ, without the Holy Spirit. Convict us in ways that we are not a witness. Convict us in ways that we are not bearing fruit and behaving as a witness should. Convict us, Lord, but then encourage us to stand, to grab a hold of our faith and grab a hold of Christ and pray, calling upon the name of Jesus to come and dwell in us so that people can see Jesus when they see us. Help us to be committed to being a witness and to fulfilling these roles that your son Jesus filled in our life for the people around us in the world that we live in. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Okay, so we'll leave it there for this week's episode of the Mobile Word Podcast. I want to thank you for tuning in, and remember to send me your thoughts, questions, comments, or scripture to mobilewordministry at gmail.com. And until next time, enjoy the word, and God bless. Mm-hmm.